Today we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 for our scripture today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is God's word. Last week, we talked about the very beginning of the church, Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church. And of course, we all know it starts with Jesus's ascension. Actually, it starts with his death and resurrection because it's through his death on the cross that Jesus has conquered the power of sin. He has forgiven our sins. He took that burden upon himself. And then it's through his Easter resurrection where Jesus gives us the gift of eternal life. By beating death through his resurrection, he has given the gift of eternal life, this free gift, to all who believe in him. And so that's really where it starts. But then at Jesus' ascension, he's essentially saying to his disciples, tag, you're it. You're it. You're my great rescue plan for the world. I came to destroy death. I came to destroy sin. But the keys of the kingdom of heaven I'm giving to you, and you are going to take that to the world. And that starts to happen at Pentecost where Paul and, and, and the, Peter and the other disciples, they're there and they're sharing the gospel with the people around them in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people are baptized and come to faith. And then it talks about how the first church, this early church, how they were together in common and, and how they were unified as a church. And then, of course, it accelerates even more after the time of Peter to Paul, who becomes the great missionary of the church. The one who once persecuted the church is now planting churches all over the world. But here in Timothy, Paul is taking it even another step. He knows that the gospel can't stop with him, that, that he's not just the key. Paul wants to raise up the next generation of leaders, and that's why he's writing to Timothy. He's writing to a young man that he's mentoring to be a church leader, a future pastor. And Timothy was Greek, although he had a Jewish mother. And Paul understands that his ministry is not just his ministry, because if that's the case, it dies off in one generation. The church must mentor the next generation. And so Paul isn't just trying to make a difference. He's trying to send out ripples that will grow into waves and will continue to power the gospel into the future. 
for generations to come. So Paul's ministry is amazing, but I would argue his legacy is even more important because his legacy passed down to future leaders like Timothy and even on down the generations to the church today. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he writes this to this young man that he's mentoring. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. He thinks so much of Timothy, he's praying for him day and night. He's thinking about him, he's praying for him, he's praying about the future that he has. I think as parents in this room, as grandparents in this room, as as a part of the older generation in this room, we need to be constantly praying for the future of the church, which means constantly praying for the hearts and souls of our kids. Paul's doing that for a church leader. We need to do that all the time. And as he writes here, Timothy is someone that Paul longs to see. He needs Timothy in his life. This is someone, he writes, that fills him with joy. And if you're somebody who's been locked up behind bars because of your faith like Paul has, having some people that bring a little joy to you, that's a real gift. This is the type of young man, Timothy, that we all wish we could raise. This is the kind of person we want our kids to become. So how did he come to faith? I mean, who, who was it that was teaching him the faith and ministering to him when he was really young so that when he got a little older and Paul met him, Paul understood, oh, this is a man who's on fire for God. Who did that for him? And Paul writes to them as well in verse 5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and his mother. Now, ladies, let's, let's get real for a second here. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it seems like a big, long list of dudes, doesn't it? You're just be honest. It, it, it's a long list of guys. And you know that those were patriarchal societies. And if we're being honest, we've had patriarchal societies since the beginning of humankind. And even up until almost this day. In fact, in many parts of the world, they're they're still living in patriarchal societies where women are kind of second-class citizens. And maybe in some ways that was even true in our culture, maybe up until the time of World War II when women had to enter the workforce. And so the families became to depend on them more for other reasons. And we're not surprised by this because Eve, in Genesis chapter 3, this is exactly what she's warned about when she bites from the apple. Right after the apple incident, God tells her that your punishment, you're going to be subjected to your husband. You're going to be subjected to him, and and he's going to lord it over you. This is your punishment. This is the punishment you have for your sin. So as a theologian, it's no surprise that in society, we've often treated women as sometimes a lower class. And again, I I regret that that happens in much of the world today. In fact, most of the world today doesn't value the women that, that we do in the West. But in the case of Timothy, his mom and his grandma are anything 
but lower class citizens. They are his mentors. These are the people that raised him with the scriptures, the people that taught him to pray, the people that introduced him to Jesus. Timothy's dad was a Gentile. He was Greek. He didn't know the Lord. He wasn't in Timothy's faith picture, at least not when he was young. We, we don't really know what became of Timothy's dad's faith journey. But we do know what Lois and Eunice were all about. I had an Aunt Lois. Uh, my Aunt Lois mentored the faith of her kids. And she was my mom's best friend. And she died of cancer in her 40s. Way too young. Way too young. Her youngest kid was still in high school at the time. Now, for our family, that was probably the saddest moment that we've ever experienced. And I had a chance to speak at her funeral. And because she raised her children as believers, I had the chance to baptize her grandchildren. Grandchildren that she never got to meet. Um, grandchildren that she will get to meet in heaven because I believe God loves reunions like that. And I, and I believe God is so good, he can't wait to introduce her to her grandchildren. So she's going to meet them in heaven. So I know the impact of having a faithful Lois in your family and what that can make for your family and what that can mean for the future generations to come. And so to the women of Messiah, I know sometimes you read the Bible and it seems like a, like a long list of guys. But if you look carefully, you're going to find wonderful female Christians, wonderful women who were leaders in the early church. You'll find heroes of the faith, like Deborah the prophet, or Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary and Magdalene, two of Jesus' best friends, Mary and Martha, a church leader named Priscilla, who often, when she and her husband are mentioned as church leaders, house church leaders, Priscilla and Aquila, her name almost always seems to come first. So the New Testament is filled with amazing women of faith who helped lead the early church. In the case of Timothy, helped raise the faith of the next generation. And so Paul, when he talks about then, he then turns to verse 6, and he says to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. Now, when I was in junior high, I'm going to admit to you that sometimes we like to play with fire. And it usually didn't end well. Like the time I was at my friend's house and we were playing with fire in the backyard and somehow his fence caught on fire. Now we didn't have to call the fire department and I'm not really sure we actually got caught by his dad, but we had to put it out with a water hose and it had this huge burn mark on it. And he, he looks at the fence and he said, do you think my dad's gonna notice when he gets home? <laughs> Again, I, I, at least as far as I remember, I'm not sure we really got caught, or at least I didn't get in trouble. Um, but here's the thing. Kids, there's always going to be fire around them. There's always going to be, but kids are curious. Here's the thing. Our goal is to figure out which fires to fan, Paul says. Which fires that we need to fan into flame. The devil wants to fan the fires of that sin stuff. Our job 
is to fan into flame godly love, or as Paul writes, self-discipline. The discipline to know right from wrong and to choose the right. Godly love that goes to our neighbors and even our enemies and says, I'm going to love them the way that Jesus loved me. We want to fan into flame that stuff Paul's talking about, and he wants that for Timothy. So moms, let's fan that into flame. Dads, let's fan that into flame for our kids. Let, let's raise kids who are in love with Jesus and who want to bless the world. These ladies did it for Timothy, and then Paul took it from there as he continued to mentor him as a pastor, and the church took off. You might not know this, but Timothy actually wrote quite a bit of the New Testament. He co-authored six different books with Paul. In fact, it's likely that Timothy is actually the one that wrote it down, because at some point, Paul was getting so old, his eyesight probably didn't allow him to write. Paul also had a lot of physical ailments after all the suffering that he had as a believer. So Timothy wrote a lot of the New Testament, including 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. And when Paul was in prison and he was awaiting martyrdom, which means being killed for his faith, the person who ministered to him, the person who cared for him, the person who strengthened his faith, Paul writes, was Timothy. You see, the greatest missionary in the history of the church still needed his pastor. And this young man that he had mentored was now pastoring him. And what a blessing he was to Paul. I wonder if Lois and Eunice had any idea the impact their faith would have on the future of the church. I wonder if they had any idea when they were raising Timothy and they were teaching him the scriptures, I wonder if they had any idea the kind of leader that he would be. And so now I turn to you moms and dads at Messiah. What are we going to be about? What are we going to be about? And what kind of legacy do you want to leave with your kids and your grandkids? And what kind of ripples are we putting towards for the future that are going to grow into waves of faith for the future of the church? We say at Messiah that the faith of the next generation matters now. If it doesn't matter now, it's not going to happen later. And that's what Messiah Lutheran School is all about. You know, Messiah Lutheran School is a big part of this particular value because we like to say, if you give us your kids, we're going to promise results. We're, we're going to teach your kids daily about Jesus. We're going to give them an amazing education. And, and we are praying that each of them in some way can become future leaders for churches. And the piece that we're really excited to launch this fall about our next generation ministries here at Messiah, we're relaunching this fall our children's ministry and our student ministry. And Hannah Lang and Ryan Fendler are here. They're ready to partner with you. And so I hope that you're going to really enjoy their vision for the future of the next generation here at Messiah. Would you give them a hand as I welcome them up? A little bit shorter. All right. 
Good morning, Messiah. My name is Hannah Lang. Um, I'm the director of children's ministry here. I have been in ministry for about eight years and here at Messiah since February. Ryan and I are the leaders of the Next Generation Ministries here at Messiah. And when we say next generation, we just mean everything from birth through high school. So our nursery and preschool and elementary environments on Sunday mornings up through our confirmation and high school ministries, I get to provide leadership for ministry for birth through fifth grade. And my name's Ryan. I've been here five years as the director of student ministry, and I have the chance uh, to meet a lot of you over those past five years. And Pastor Jim, when he started out, he, he was talking just now about our value that the faith of the next generation matters now. And have you ever wondered why we say that? Have you ever wondered why we word it that way? If you were to go out there in that hallway, you'd see our five values at Messiah out there on the wall. And one of those values is that the faith of the next generation matters now. So why do we word that one that way? Why is there such urgency behind that particular value? Because for me growing up, and I imagine maybe for some of you growing up, there was an attitude that the faith of the next generation mattered, but it wasn't urgent. You know, there was this idea that, yeah, you might lose some teenagers, they might walk away from worship for a bit, but you know what, they're going to get married and they're going to have families, they're just going to come back. And so their faith, it, it matters, but it's not urgent. I want to show you a picture that, that excites me. This is a picture from one of our high school nights back in May, and we had 32 high schoolers showing up there. And when you look at that picture, I bet some of you are seeing faces that you know. You're seeing your own kids' faces, or you're seeing a niece or a nephew or a grandkid. Maybe you see a friend's kid or just a kid that you've watched grow up here at our church. You can look at that picture and remember their baptism day and think, man, they are already 15 years old. It is crazy how quick the time goes. Well, what happens to them if we decide that their faith isn't urgent? What happens to them if we decide that we are comfortable with the way things are and we're comfortable, you know, just being average, right? Maybe you feel like, hey, Messiah, we don't got to be great. I mean, we don't want to be bad, but we don't got to be great, right? We can just settle for average. Well, I can tell you what that statistic looks like, what, what average statistics look like. And for the average church, over half of the kids in that picture, put them back up, for the average church, over half of the kids in that picture are going to walk away from their faith after high school. And I don't just mean skip some church services, I mean walk away. And I can't look at that picture and be comfortable with that. I can't look at the faces and the stories that I, I know and be okay with that. But I realize you know, I, I'm a little biased in this, and you might think that, Ryan, it's your job to care, so of course you're passionate about this, and so I'll give you that. And so maybe you're comfortable with average. Maybe you look at that picture and you think, you're okay with losing the 16 kids in that picture that would make up half of the kids. Could you point out for me which 16 kids, if you're comfortable with average, could you point out for me which 16 kids you're okay with walking away from Jesus? Would you pick those 16? Would you pick the other 16? Would you be comfortable losing anyone in that picture? I can take volunteers if you're willing to pick them out for me. I'm going to guess you're not comfortable with that number either. And we got to remember what it means to walk away. You see, we're not just talking about kids walking away from a weekly worship service. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so when they walk away, they're walking away from the only one who's going to give them purpose and direction. And they're walking away from the only one who's going to speak truth and love to them. And they're walking away from the only one who's going to give them life. That's the cost if we decide that we are comfortable with average. So this feels really personal to me because I have a son. This is a picture of my son, River. He's actually asleep over in dad's arms right over there. Um, River's going to turn one in just two days. And when I think about River's future and what I want for him, I want him to have a sincere faith. I want him to have a faith where he's not just memorizing Bible verses or Bible stories, but he truly has a relationship with Jesus. I want his faith to be the anchor of his identity, where he knows that he's a baptized and beloved child of God. I want River to have a faith where he's involved in a faith community of people coming alongside him and supporting him. I want him to have a faith that's going to carry him through the tumultuous years of being a teenager and a young adult and into adulthood. I want his faith to inform his relationships and his decisions. I want him to love God and love others the way that Jesus loves him so much. I want him to have an authentic faith, a faith that's with him every day, an authentic everyday faith. And that's what I want for your kids too. That's what we want for the kids and the students here at Messiah, to have an authentic everyday faith. But to do that, we can't just do it ourselves. We definitely can't do it alone. If you've come here on a Wednesday night before, that's when our middle school ministry meets. We have 65 middle schoolers that show up into this space to learn about Jesus. Which, first off, we should be humbled and excited that we get to reach that many young people. But it's 65. I mean, it is a crowd that shows up here. I, I know I've seen some of our leaders in that group that show up. Jim Otis, you can confirm with me. It is a crowd that shows up on a Wednesday night, and it takes more than just one person. But what I see when those kids walk in the space, I don't just see a crowd of 65. I see 65 individuals with their own names and their own stories and their own souls. And I want each of those kids to understand that God knows them and loves them personally. And for them to know that, it requires that they feel known and loved when they walk into our environments. Y'all, it is hard to feel known and loved in a crowd of 65. It is hard to feel heard in a crowd of 65 yelling middle schoolers. But you can feel known and loved in a small group. You can feel heard in a small group. You can feel known and loved not when there's just one adult on a stage running things, but when a community of leaders shows up for them. That's how they feel known and loved. You see, for Hannah and I to give our young people an authentic everyday faith, it requires more than just one person on a stage talking at them. It requires leaders in chairs talking with them. And thankfully in my life, I've gotten to see that modeled. I was blessed with having some awesome uh, leaders growing up in my church. That's high school Ryan right there in the far right. He hadn't learned how to comb his hair yet. Um, but next to him, uh, next to me, that's Alex, and, and next to him, that's Chris. And what you should know about Alex and Chris is they weren't our paid youth ministers. Alex was a landscaper. Chris was a software engineer. I mean, these were normal guys. And I was remembering, I was thinking about where this picture was taken. This picture was taken on a high school trip, and I did the thing that a lot of high school boys make the mistake of on a long trip. I ran out of underwear at some point in the trip, and I didn't have uh, a car. Well, Chris and Alex, they were the guys that helped me figure that problem out. Okay, they were there to serve in many ways that week. But man, these guys, they weren't theologically trained. They weren't the world's greatest Bible study leaders. 
And I can't look back and think about a, a particular moment or, or message they share with me, but man, it was just their presence alone that made me want to stay plugged in to my church. It was because I knew they were going to be there on a Sunday night that I wanted to come out. It was because they were going to be there on a Sunday night that my friends and I, we felt like the coolest guys in the world because Chris and Alex were there for us. So I didn't get to have a long-term relationship with a small group leader like Ryan because I actually moved around a lot when I was a kid. I went to two different preschools, two different elementary schools, two different high schools. So I could tell you stories about Josh or Rachel or Patrick, but the point is that all along the way, God placed adults in my life to share their faith with me. I developed my sense of who God was because they shared with me their faith and how God was working in their lives. Through their faith, they showed me what it looked like to walk with Jesus and to trust Jesus through the ups and downs. Just like people of the ancient times developed their view of God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, we hear this refrain over and over in the Bible. We um, have likely developed our sense, you probably have developed your sense of who God is because you met the God of your mother, the God of your coach, the God of your neighbor, the God of Susan, the God of Bill, God uses people to reveal himself to us. He uses his people to demonstrate his story of redemption and love. He always has. And so please don't miss this. Kids can't see God. They can't see Jesus. They can't see the Holy Spirit. But they can see people who know Jesus, who know God. They can see you. Kids will have a greater chance to know God when they know people who love God, when they get an up-close look at people who are loving Jesus the way they have been loved. When we teach kids and forgive them and love them unconditionally, we point kids and students to a God who does the same. His character is revealed in the way that we treat them, and that's why showing up for kids and students is so important. There's no guarantee that River will always walk with Jesus in his life. I can't control that, unfortunately. What I can do is I can make sure that he sees his dad and I living out our faith in our lives. I can make sure that he's in an environment where he sees other people living out their faith. So I want people to be around him that I trust to be spiritual influences in his life. When it came time to choose godparents for River when he was baptized, um, Kyle and I took this really seriously. We thought long and hard about who we wanted to be his godparents. Um, and so we actually chose two god families. So up there on the left, that is Mark and Katie Sofietti. Uh, they've got four kids. They have B, George, Peter, and Marjorie. And then down there with the green hair, that's Christy. Christy and Andy also have four kids, Isaac, Ella, Gracie, and Sam. Uh, that's not a great angle, but uh, actually all 12 of them were up there with us when River was baptized. Uh, the kids called themselves River's God Cousins, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and it meant so much to us to choose people who were passionate about living their faith. When I look at those people, I have walked through so much in life with them, and I know that they are truly in a relationship with Jesus. They live their faith authentically, they love him, and they are teaching their children to love him too. And so we were so honored that they stood up there with us that day to promise to be a part of River's life. It meant so much to us because we want River to have that authentic faith that carries him through life. We pursued these strategic relationships to be spiritual mentors for River because Research shows that
that a child needs adults to invest in them. When they have adults who know them, who are influencing their faith, then they are way more likely to carry that faith through their teenage years and into adulthood. Five adults, actually. Statistics say kids need five adults who know their name, know their story, who are involved in their lives, who can be their cheerleaders and their confidants, who can pray for them, who understand their hearts. If we want him to have that authentic everyday faith, we needed to widen the circle of influence. Because there will be a day when I can't solve all of his problems. Right now, cuddles from mama solves pretty much anything. And dada is 10 feet tall, but there will be a day when I don't know anything anymore. Um, he won't want to be <laughs> really, we won't, he's not going to listen to us anymore someday. If you have a teenager or you were a teenager, you know this to be true. Um, he's going to need other adults to invest in him. And unfortunately, like I mentioned, we just moved here in February. We don't live near those people anymore. And so when River needs someone, it's going to be a lot harder for him to reach out to Mark or to Andy or his god cousins. So Messiah, River needs you. And you know, all of our young people need a faith like that, and they need trusted leaders that they can go to. And that means that we've got to create environments where we're not just reaching a crowd, but we're reaching each person in that crowd. And we're making each person in that crowd feel known and loved. So every week, we've got about 65 kids that show up to our Messiah Kids environment, and I want to tell you a little bit about them this morning. Um, here is our nursery. Our nursery environment is for kids ages 0 to 2. We have it staffed during our 9 o'clock service. We'd love to staff it during this 1030 service as well if we can find volunteers to commit to helping us with that. Um, but in the nursery, we're caring for these youngest children and these pandemic babies, y'all. Some of these pandemic babies have never seen another adult or kid in their lives yet because they were born during lockdown. And so, yes, we have some tears in the nursery. Um, honestly, it took River about three weeks to be okay with being dropped off in the nursery without some tears. But if you've been in our nursery lately, you have definitely met Miss Melissa. This is Miss Melissa. She has committed to serving regularly in our nursery, and that's so important to kids this age because they need a consistent face. You see, our nursery wins when we provide a consistent and safe and loving environment for them, when we build trusting relationships with the kids and the parents. It can be really intimidating to come to a new environment with faces you don't know, but because Miss Melissa is there almost every single week, we start to build that trusting relationship. And we invest in these kids, not only by telling them how much God loves them every week, we do little Bible stories and songs, but it's also a blessing to the parents who get to come here to worship, and they get to be fed spiritually as well. All right, let's move on to our preschool environment. In preschool, we have a whole lot of fun with our twos, three, and four-year-olds. At this age, toddlers are discovering something new about the world every single day. Um, we use a lot of child development and, uh, in our theology and our, in our uh, lesson plans, and so the kids do a lot of sensory activities and play. In this environment, we are building a foundation of faith. By the time they leave this environment, we want these preschoolers to know three things. God made me. God loves me. Jesus wants to be my friend forever. We think those are the three basic truths that every preschooler should know. But to do that, we need a dedicated preschool team who's showing up regularly to build those trusting relationships so we can speak truth into their lives. We need to remind them regularly how God loves them with a great big love. 
All right, in our, our elementary environment, we've got kids ages kindergarten through fifth grade. We have a lot of fun in this environment. And our goal in Elementary Messiah Kids is to guide kids to put their faith in Jesus and teach them who God is and how he wants them to live. To do this, we use a lot of fun and games and music and laughter. We start out in a large group with all the kids together where they do some crowd games. We worship God with fun songs, and then I get to tell a Bible story. But I think the real magic happens when we move into small groups. So we move the kids into small groups based on their ages. And in small groups, they've got leaders who use provided activities to have fun, building relationships with them. They practice faith skills like reading the Bible and praying and talking about their faith. And when kids leave this environment, we also have three things we want them to know. God loves me. I can trust God no matter what. And I should love people the way that Jesus loves me. Again, we can't communicate this basic truth regularly unless we have consistent leaders who are building relationships with these kids. They're going through a lot in these ages. Think back to when you were an elementary student. Or imagine a five-year-old who's confused about why grandma got sick and went to heaven. Imagine an eight-year-old who really needs someone to talk to because his parents are going through a divorce. Imagine an 11-year-old who doesn't feel like he fits in any group at school, but he knows he fits at Messiah Kids. Small groups is where the real ministry happens. And that's true of both of our environments, our kids and our, our students' environments. Um, we want to create spaces where kids aren't just learning information about Jesus, but where they're transformed by Jesus, where they understand Jesus in a way that changes the way they live and the way they think and the way they're interacting with the world around them. For our students, that starts in middle school. Wednesday nights, that's our space. I told you a little bit about that earlier. But we start off the night, we've got our games, we've got teaching, they break into their small groups. And it's an amazing space. And my, my desire, my mission from day one since I came here for all of our student ministries is that we would create a space that students love and that they want to invite their friends to. And you know, where we're seeing that really happening is in our high school ministry. We call that Messiah PM. We gather on Sunday nights, and let me tell you, there are kids showing up there who didn't grow up at our church, and kids showing up there whose families aren't even churched families, but they're finding a place to belong and to connect to Jesus on Sunday nights here. This gets me really excited, and I think about that wall of values out there. And at the heart of all of our values here at Messiah is this idea that we want to be a church for St. Charles, don't we? We want to be a church that's for our community, that our community trusts and that they can show up to. And man, let me just say, it feels good when St. Charles shows up. It feels good when you get to live out that calling here in our building. We're doing that here at Messiah. And so with, with this group of, of teenagers, you know, go back to that picture that I shared at the very beginning. I look at that picture of those students. And I think about the ones who, who grew up here and the ones that didn't grow up here. And I think about all the things they've had the chance to talk about and process with us. I mean, I wish I could put a picture up and say, this student processed mental health struggles with a committed leader, right? Because we've got committed leaders showing up here in that space. And I wish I could show you the picture of the student who processed uh, family struggles with an adult leader. Students that processed how to become a better friend to the world around them, right? They've had these conversations because there were leaders who showed up regularly to be there with them. 
And all I can wonder is where would they have gone if those leaders weren't there? Who would they have had to talk to if we didn't show up for them? I can only guess that they would have gone somewhere else, that they would have gone somewhere that wasn't a church for those answers. And you see, that's the thing. When we don't show up for the next generation, we risk losing the next generation. When we don't show up for them, we risk having that 50% number I shared earlier, we risk that coming true when we don't show up. Messiah, that does not have to be our story. We do not have to watch as half of our young people walk away from Jesus. We can say that that is not going to happen in our house, right? We are not going to let that happen in our house. And it only starts if we decide today that the faith of the next generation is urgent and that we're going to show up for them. Because you see, when we show up for them, we're going to get the chance to lead them in a faith that they carry beyond high school and into adulthood and parenthood and grandparenthood. And here's the other thing. When we show up for them, we're going to have the capacity to reach more than just 32 high schoolers and more than 65 middle schoolers and more than 65 kids. We're going to have the capacity to reach the people of St. Charles when they come in here. And isn't that why we're here, Messiah? Aren't we here to be a church for St. Charles? That only happens, though, if we decide today that the faith of the next generation is an urgent matter and if we decide to show up for them. So here is what we're asking for today. We need 70 leaders to commit to serving in our next-gen ministries. Actually, it's not us that need you. It's the kids and the students that need you. We need 70 leaders to show up for them. Our kids need grandmas and grandkids who live states away, but they would love to play with a two-year-old in the nursery. Our kids need empty nesters who maybe realize that their time investing in the next generation isn't over. We need teenagers. Our kids need teenagers to invest in them as they're growing their own faith and investing in the generation below them. We need regular people. Our kids need regular people with regular jobs. Melissa, who I mentioned earlier, she is a regular nine to five. She is a physical therapist without a background in theology or education or church work, but she has committed to serving regularly and she shows up regularly for those kids in the nursery and that makes a difference. And you know, Hannah and I did some research before today. Did you know that half the world, believe it or not, half the world is made up of men? Which means, okay, we did some more digging. Half of our high schoolers, half of our high schools, made up of men. Half of our middle schools, also men. And when we looked at elementary schools, half of our elementary schools, what were they made up of? Could you guess? Men, right? You guys are so smart. Thank you. So if half of our schools here are men, then half of our leaders need to be men. Because our boys that are growing up through our kids' ministry and our student ministries, I want them to see what a Jesus-following man looks like so they know how to become a Jesus-following man themselves. And so um, we need, we've got a bunch of gamers that show up. If you're a gamer, we have kids that want to connect with you. Okay, dads, those of you dads out there who had your glory days on the high school football field, okay, you know how you single-handedly won the state championship. <laughs> that story that your kids are tired of hearing, we got some teenage boys that would love to hear it, okay? Grandmas, I know you love baking cookies and you've got a bunch of leftovers. You can share them with a group of middle school girls. And when you bring them, if you feel like leaving some on the student minister's desk, that is a calling <laughs> that I'm going to let you live out, okay? All kinds of people have the capacity to reach the next generation. 
And so that's what we're asking for. And I've heard lots of reasons over the years why people have said no. I mean, people have said, I'm too busy. I get it. I don't know enough. I'm not cool enough. That's a big one. They think they're not cool enough for high schoolers. I don't know how to relate to them, or, or teenagers are scary. I've heard that one a lot. And I've heard it in kids' men, too. Uh, some of you have a picture of Sunday school in an old-school classroom with an older lady just reading out of the Bible. That is not what this is. I've heard people say, I don't know enough. What if a kid asks me a question I don't know the answer to? Or I'm not so sure I did a great job passing the faith on to my own kids. Are you sure you want me in your environment? I've heard... I don't like kids. <laughs> I've heard um, I volunteered before, and it was awful. Well, here is our promise to you. If you say yes to investing in the faith of the next generation, you are part of a team. We promise you will never serve alone. We promise that you will never feel unprepared. We promise that we do the teaching, you do the connecting. We plan to provide training and support and ongoing mentorship. We promise to invest in you as you invest in the next generation. And you know what? Uh, relationships can get messy. Ministry can get messy. Kids' ministry can quite literally get messy at times, okay? Um, but investing in the next generation, there's going to be messy moments. There's going to be mistakes. Hannah and I have made mistakes. Our leaders have made mistakes. We're not looking for perfect people. We're not looking for everyone who has, for people who have everything figured out, Okay. And I want to remind you of who it is that works through you when you show up here. It is the Holy Spirit that does the work through you when you show up in the life of a young person. When you look at the New Testament and you look at the stories of Paul and Peter, they have such boldness and such courage and such confidence. Well, they always point that boldness not back to their own skills. They always point it to the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit that gave them such boldness is a spirit that works through you when you show up in the life of a young person. So we've talked a lot about roles where you're showing up in person in our environments with our kids and students, but we really have a need for people working behind the scenes as well. Um, let me tell you about my friend Julie. I love Julie. Julie does a really important job every single week. She spends um, some time during the week in the afternoons preparing all the materials that we use in our environments on Sunday morning. So she really sets those environments up for success when she cuts out stars and makes copies and puts hair gel in Ziploc bags and counts out bird stickers. And she is creating a ripple effect that makes such an impact. Because when our small group leaders walk into our environments on Sunday morning, knowing that all the materials have been prepared, their eyes aren't down quickly counting the bird stickers. Their eyes can be up to notice when a child needs comforting, when a teenager needs a high five, when a parent needs some direction or some encouragement. Julie spending time on the weekday counting out bird stickers truly creates a ripple effect that's making generations worth of impact. And I want us to close out Going back to Timothy, right? Pastor Jim led us in that reading from 2 Timothy earlier. You know, the interesting thing about his story is you saw those two women, Lois and Eunice. Well, Lois was a grandmother. And so I hope that reminds all of us that there's not an age that God has ever done using you. But I was also reminded of the importance of small things. We've been talking about a ripple effect throughout this series and the interesting thing about a ripple effect is it always starts small, right? You, you take a rock and you throw it in a pool. You're in the splash zone, by the way. But you drop a little rock in a pool of water and it spreads throughout the whole body of water, right? Well, in this story of Timothy, you saw some small things happening. You saw Lois 
investing in Eunice. And you saw these two women investing in the life of just one young person. They didn't plan a church. They didn't start a new ministry. They just invested in a young person. I want to know, how many of you here today, raise your hands if you personally know someone in your life named Tim or Timothy. Could you raise your hand, please? Keep your hand up. Up high. Now look around this room. Most of us here know someone with that name. That name's come down to us over 2,000 years because of Timothy's faith, because of what he did for the early church. And that faith came from just two women deciding to invest in him as a young person. You see, every time you show up in the life of a young person, you're creating a ripple effect that can impact generations. Every time you pray for a young person, every time you talk to a young person, every time you show love to a young person, you're creating a ripple effect that's going to impact generations. If you're in a season of life where maybe volunteering your time regularly isn't a possibility right now, we need your prayers. We're also looking for people to commit to being prayer partners. We need you to please pray for our kids and students, pray for their families, pray for our volunteers, pray for our environments, pray for the leadership, pray for our ministries, because we believe in the power of prayer, and we know that that makes an impact as well. That makes a ripple effect. So whether you're serving in person in our environments, whether you're serving behind the scenes, or you're committed to being a prayer partner, every role matters. And so what I'd like to ask you to do now is please pull out your phone. Yes, you're allowed to pull out your phone in church because I'd like you to scan the QR code that you see on the screen or on the seat in front of you. This code will take you to a web page where we have listed all of the volunteer roles that we are asking for. And there's actually job descriptions. So you can scan through and scroll through, open up those different environments, and you can see what exactly we're looking for. Those job descriptions for our there we go, for our uh, student environments, for our kids' environments. Um, we've got them all listed right there, so we'd like to highlight a few of them for you this morning. Uh, first, both our kids and students need small group leaders. Small group leaders show up regularly to invest in the same group of kids or students, and they use provided activities to have fun building relationships with them. We also need worship leaders in our preschool and elementary environments. Maybe you are musical, you love singing, you could play an instrument. Those are your talents. Well, maybe this is the role for you. And some of you might not be in the mood for being in the middle of a crowd or in the <laughs> middle of a group of people. That's okay. We've got some behind-the-scenes roles, too. We need help with check-ins. We need help with the tech stuff in the back, running slides. There's roles for all kinds of people. So when you came in, you got a card on your seat. It looks something like this. Um, if you are part of this crowd this morning, we know that you are going to fit in one of these three categories. So you might be sitting there thinking, yes, I'm ready to be on team. Sign me up. You can check that first box up there. If you're thinking that you're interested, but maybe you want to learn a little bit more, please select that second box. Circle me or Ryan, and we will give you a call to chat with you about maybe finding the perfect role. Or you could visit us in the foyer after the service where we have all of those roles also listed on the display. And then we've got the option to be a prayer partner. If you are ready to commit to praying for our ministries, please select that last box. And don't forget to put your contact information on the back because we want to thank you for that. And now during this next song, we're going to invite you to bring those completed cards up the aisles to put them in these baskets on the podiums. And as you do that, we are going to hand you a rock. Please take that rock, toss it into the pool, watch the ripple effect that you can make, 